Wendell Vaughn, the first Earthman ever appointed protector of the universe, bonded to the energy-transforming quantum bands that are both weapons and symbols of his station. He fights an ongoing battle to defend all life in the universe from cosmic evil. Stanley presents Quasar. Greetings, and welcome back to the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. I'm Gene Hendricks, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Jeff Fishman. How are you doing, Jeff? I am doing great. I'm doing great. I know it's been a long time since the last podcast, but you have to understand that we had to take a year-long trip to Uranus, and we'll get rid of the teenage giggles <laughs> right now. Pause Another... for juvenile laughter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, luckily, while we were out there, our good friend Eon taught us how to quantum warp back to good old Earth, and so we're back doing our third installment of the Quantum Cast. All right, and speaking of the third installment of the Quantum Cast, we are on issue number three of Quasar. Huzzah! Or should I say, Udalali? Uh, actually, Robin Hood was just on this morning, so that works. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> All right, issue three of Quasar. You ready for the synopsis? Um, yep, yep. Just let me finish reading the ad on the inside front cover for Bayou Billy for the NES. Uh, you're a raging Cajun on the heels of that gangster king of Bourbon Street. The swamp rat that kidnapped your best girl. I can't, I can't fucking read any more of that. Go ahead, James. <laughs> bullshit NES stuff. Go ahead. Well, th this issue is chock full of NES ads, but... <laughs> it sure is. Okay, so here we go. Quasar, issue number three. Cover date was mid-November 1989. Mm -hmm. The on-sale date was August 8th, 1989. Thank you to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at dcindexes.com for that information. Mm -hmm. Writer, Mark Gruenwald. Breakdowns, Paul Ryan. Finishes, Dan Bolinati. Letters, Janice Chiang. Colors, Paul Becton. Editor, Howard Mackey. And the top dog of everybody, Tom DeFalco. On the cover... We have the Human Torch flying around Quasar and blasting his quantum shield. Neither of them looks happy. The cover copy reads, The Cosmic Avenger Quasar in blazing battle with the Human Torch. Plus, within these pages lurks Angler. What do you think about that cover, Jeff? Well, I think, um, i tell you exactly what I think, because, you know, that's what I do in this podcast. I think this issue is trying to find its footing. I think Quasar is an interesting character. I think Quasar has a lot of potential, but I don't think the writers here really know what to do with him. Right now, he kind of feels like a Hal Jordan spinoff, but a little bit too goody two-shoes for my taste. Huh. And um, I think that I'm just I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. And I, th I think that now that he's back on Earth, they're trying to find out how he fits in the whole hierarchy of superheroes. So this seems very, very typical of 80s comics. Uh, one superhero battling another superhero because of the quote unquote misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. But I think if we get through issues like this, when the character really finds his footing and spoiler alert dies, you know, for the first of three or four times, he'll become a lot more compelling as a character but as we all know we have to start somewhere so that's what i think about the cover it's um he's uh, his quantum constructs are still relatively see-through mm -hmm. he's still doing basic shapes like uh, triangular shields and and giant boxing gloves if you will but all in all you know hey i read it and, and, and thoroughly enjoyed it it took me back to uh, god how old was i at that time i was uh, 14 when this issue came out i also want to drop back for a moment you're talking about tom defalco yes if you notice on the inside cover his title is eon in chief and eon, <laughs> of course is the uh 
disembodied moss covered space head that uh, is teaching um is basically being yoda for our young wendell vaughn yes a very very weird looking yoda (laughs) (laughs) agreed agreed okay on the inside the title of the story is angles not found in nature we open in Fairfield, Connecticut at 2.11 a.m. Quasar and Eon are landing in the backyard of Quasar's father. Eon is quickly hid inside the garage as Quasar recaps what happened to him last issue when he fought Death Urge and met Eon to his dad. He also explains how he was able to fold space and get back to Earth nearly instantaneously. When Dr. Vaughn asks what Wendell is to do, Quasar tells him he's going to protect the universe from the alien threat that's actually coming to Earth. And in the meantime, he's going to set up a security consultant firm as a source of income and as a way to cover his cosmic activities. I want to, sorry, I want to stop you right there. So I think there's some important things that we need to touch on here. So firstly, it's very convenient because everything bad that happens to the entire universe comes through the backwards mud hole that is planet Earth. (laughs) And personally, this is why I fell in love with Guardians of the Galaxy when they were first introduced in the short run, but very, very well written Thanos comic Mm -hmm. because why why does every cosmic threat have to stop at earth like is this like where the toll booth is on the way into jersey you know you gotta (laughs) somebody's gotta go back and get a shitload of dimes (laughs) exactly it's the first fucking place you go whenever there's a problem why is it always earth but conveniently enough because we want to be another new york superhero you know green lantern i mean quasar (laughs) wants to be so it's good i also like the fact that the first thing he does after he's been out in outer space for years at Uranus, is he wants to get a sandwich. Now, yeah. I don't know if that's the first thing I would do, but, you know, I could see where he'd be very hungry having been not had solid food for several years. So that's his primary concern is let me get a sandwich before I tell you what's going on here, Dad. And, of course, we have to have the uh, non-angular, we have to have the, the rounded-off mm-hmm. panels because we're remembering what happened in the last few issues. Gene, do you remember if there was a gap between issues two and three for publishing? For publishing, no. I believe they were pretty much concurrent. Let me look real quick here. No, actually, Quasar number two was early November of... 89. So it they actually came out within weeks of each other. Okay, so this is standard 80s. We've got to give you the backstory by showing you panels from the previous issue, which will take up space, so it makes the book look a little bit thicker, but all we're going to do is round off the edges of the panels. I got it. Well, they're also, because back then, it was still the infancy of the direct market, really. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you had, you, you were still under the Stan Lee adage of every comic could be somebody's first. So they had to devote it was what uh, two pages here to a page and a half to oh yeah this is what happened last issue because it's possible you didn't get it you know what that's smart that's smart that makes a lot of sense and um Although, as an avid reader, I find it annoying. You're right, because I came into Quasar on issue number two, and it took me years of going through back issues in the 90s to find issue one. So uh, as much as I like to make fun of it, it does make a lot of sense. Mm. So those are the only kind of color commentary things I wanted to put in there, is that Quasar's a normal guy, and um, he's not a rocket pilot. He's, Mm. you know, he's not an alien from another world. He's not an Amazon princess. He's just the dude that likes comic books that happened to get a pair of quantum bands glued to his wrist. So 
you know, of course, the first thing he's going to want when he comes back to Earth is a sandwich. And shortly we'll get to the second thing he wants. So, um, Gene, I believe you're on page six as he's flying over a cityscape. Yes, flying into New York the next morning. Mm -hmm. And after doing some sightseeing, he lands to see why there's a huge tower with fours on top of it where the Baxter building used to be. That's true. And I believe during that time the Baxter building uh, was destroyed. Yes. And, of course, while he's off planet, they rebuilt that. He also They also make mention of the Statue of Liberty looking cleaner, mm-hmm. which, of course, there was a, a whole project that went on during that time period. And so, of course, he's looking. So he's reacquainting himself with the city and looking for space to lease. Yes. And that's something to, to touch on, because we mentioned it in the first episode that Quasar was not in comics between 1983 and 1989, mm-hmm. our time. So this is just a way to remind everybody, yeah, he hasn't been around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he's still trying to pick up on stuff, mm-hmm. what changes there were. And actually, it helped a little bit for me because I was I was an intermittent reader mm-hmm. for a lot of stuff. So getting these little snippets in there is like, oh, yeah, the, this used to be the Baxter Building. When, when I started really paying attention, the Baxter Building was already gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's just a n- nice little nod to, yeah, we know not everyone buys every issue, <clears throat> unlike what they expect today. Right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and um, I want to add in, I mean, you will find folks who are listening to this podcast because you love comics, right? I mean, you who the hell would listen to the Quantum Cast unless you were really into comics, right? and you really like the deep Marvel lore, as Gene and I both do. Mm-hmm. So so I imagine, at least for me, this is part of the reason why you love Quasar so much, because when you're reading a Quasar comic, the dude, Quasar himself, loves comic books, loves superheroes, and you're going to see a lot of deep references that uh, the average reader is just not going to get. So this is a comic book for comic book aficionados, just like Gilbert Godfrey is a comedian that only other comedians really like and get. So, <laughs> right? I mean, tell me I'm wrong. And if you tell me I'm wrong, I'm just going to fucking delete your email because I don't give two shits what your opinion is. But if you've got an opinion on that, certainly, you know, send it. Maybe Gene will read it. Um, anyway, <laughs> Gene, I apologize. Oh, I no problem. Off, I went off on a tangent there. So I imagine you're going to start talking about how he's looking for office space to lease and decides he's going to. I'll let you finish. He decides. Yes, he notices that there is space release in for Freedom's Plaza. Mm-hmm. But before he can get an application, his quantum bands pick up an unusual energy surge not far from there. Mm-hmm. He flies off, and one of the onlookers just looks up and says, Who's that supposed to be? Because he hasn't been around in a while, and it's kind of mm-hmm. a weird looking costume, to be honest. Right. Sure. He sees the human torch in action against someone who looks like Manny Faces from He Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, sorry, that was my girlish laugh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, apparently, I just got back from Uranus. Uh, go, go, please continue. <laughs> As he sees the torch has things well in hand, Quasar leaves. Mm-hmm. Three days later, Quasar in his in Clark Kent mode. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I'm so glad to hear you say that. Keep going. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you a minute, but just... right. He he meets up with Mr. Merrick, the leasing agent for Four Freedoms Plaza. He tours office space on the 12th floor and gets paperwork for a five-year lease. I'm sorry, I'm going to pause you right there. So for our listeners that haven't read this, and I know like I'm only talking to two or three of you, the other thousands of fans have this issue memorized, but just in case. Everyone's seen the Iron Man 3 movie. You remember Guy Pierce's character, the, hmm. the Aldrich Killian? That's exactly what Quasar looks like here. White jacket, 
you know, salmon colored <laughs> polo underneath of that, blue slacks, blonde hair, slicked back, and a pair of glasses. And of course, you know, using the Superman rule, or dare I say, the hypnotic tie effect from the Tick comics, those glasses <laughs> prevent anyone from recognizing who he is. Now, this will become very important. I realize Quasar hasn't been on Earth in, what, six, seven years at this point, so no one's going to recognize him anyway, but moving forward in the comics, somebody that just meets him moments ago is not going to recognize him because his hair's a little bit different and he's wearing glasses now. And I also want to make mention here, he wants a five-year lease. Yes. Which, I don't know, I run my own business. I wouldn't sign for a five-year lease <laughs> if it was a startup. I mean, that's that's a big commitment. He actually, his thought bubble says that the, the security deposit in the first month's rent is going to wipe out his savings. Right, right. So let's think about this. He's a security uh, design and development. So... He's got to get in, set up office. Well, that's going to take a week or two. And then he's got to find a client that's going to set, give him one hell of a retainer mm -hmm. inside of the, the remaining two to three weeks that's left. I just don't see that as being feasible, especially since he's set up in Four Freedoms Plaza, which they already make note and mention that Fantastic Four has designed the security systems for the upper floors. So he's only got the lower floors to deal with or outside in business. Here's the other thing I want to mention. Wendell here says, still, I like the space and the price is right and you can't beat the location so let's let's dissect that for a minute <laughs> because this is what we do on this podcast we you know of course we like the action but let's let's really talk about what's going on here so okay you can't beat the location well that's true it's got a great big four on the hmm. top it's in the center of manhattan it is the bestest location you could have but the price is right so why would the price be so expensive? Well, this is for Freedom Plaza. So I imagine it gets attacked like twice a week. Uh, it has to be like, I mean, just think about Avengers Mansion, mm -hmm. even Avengers Hydro Base or the Xavier School. Every fucking other issue, some bad guy is attacking it. Juggernaut is just tromping through it and it keeps it being destroyed and having to be rebuilt. So I imagine that's why the rent is so expensive because even though that rent is very cheap, the insurance that Wendell's <laughs> going to be required to get to lease this space, his business insurance, is going to be through the roof. And I don't really think he's thinking this thing through before he gets it. But I, I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> That's probably not really what we should be talking about here. Although I'm pretty sure that Professor Allen of the, uh, the Relatively Geeking Network, who is an economics professor, appreciates that. <laughs> well, I, um, I appreciate your appreciation of my appreciation of the economics of this situation, sir. <laughs> All right, back to the issue. Mm -hmm. On his way out, he shares an elevator with a woman who's crying. Being the quintessential nice guy, Wendell mm -hmm. asks her what is wrong. Mm. It turns out she was turned down for a job, not because she lacks the secretarial skills, but because she decided to show up for the interview as if it was a Guns N' Roses concert. <laughs> yeah, right. This is a totally coke-fueled 80s rocker chick here with her fuck-me boots on, which you'll get a nice close-up of later on in the issue. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. And and of course, you know, Wendell's after, let's face it, Wendell being the nice guy is doing the nice guy equivalent of being after the second thing you'd want after a sandwich when you haven't been on earth for six or seven years and what's the other note oh yeah so the other note i have on this is it says it's just a secretarial position but my friend marla told me that the crandall agency was a really cool place to work now i know i should recognize those two names and before you say it marla was the friend's name 
It's not Marlo, who is Rick Jones's girlfriend. It's Marla. And the only Marla I can think of is J. Jonah Jameson's wife. But I'm not familiar with the, Crand- the Crandall Agency. And it seems to me that that was an important ma- name drop. So if anybody who is uh, listening to this podcast knows who the Crandall Agency is, please uh, send us a quick email because I'd be interested in knowing what that name drop is. Yeah, it it seems a little too specific to me, and I didn't have a chance to look it up myself. So, yeah, please, email us in. Now, looking it up, Gene, looking it up is cheating. (laughs) It's cheating. You can't cheat. We got to... Why should we do show prep when the listeners can do it for us? (laughs) That's true. That's true. But I believe that the Marla they're referencing is J. Jonah Jameson's wife. Uh, I don't know the timeline here. If they're dating or they're engaged or they've actually gotten married but that is uh, that's who i think she's referring to all right taking pity on her poor judgment wendell gives her his number so that she can submit her resume to him right <laughs> that's that's what he she wants he wants to submit to her that's 50 shades of wendell right there <laughs> during this conversation he gets alert from his quantum bands and sees a figure in green and purple that's fading in and out of view he quickly follows the residual energy trail to the fantastic four's private elevator getting into an empty elevator he pulls a fire star and changes into quasar <laughs> right and, and how does he access a private elevator well he doesn't there's a public elevator bank oh, next to it right so if i fishman if you just read the fucking comic book <laughs> figure this shit out got it right right but the fire star thing is because he he says he has to generate enough light to make sure that no security cameras can pick up that he just changed to Quasar, even though it clearly would show this guy in the white coat coming in and suddenly a flash of light and then the Quasar's there. So I don't right. that myself. Right. Timestamp, Killian walks in, bright light, timestamp, Quasar standing there. Got yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> and the one note I had for these two panels here is that he's saying that he should get a slogan for something like this. <laughs> something like, Flame on, or Shazam, or this is a job for so-and-so. <laughs> That's right. What a dork. Uh, and then next panel, it's like, nah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, again, why we love him. It's very deep, and he's a little tongue-in-cheek, and he's making fun of himself and the entire industry while putting out a pretty darn good comic. So right. uh, please continue. Okay. Uh, he flies up the elevator shaft to the 42nd floor, where the intruders entered the Fantastic Four's headquarters and smashed the elevator controls. Quasar opens the elevator door, setting off an alarm, and tries to stop him. Mm-hmm. This is where he gets his first look at the angler, who has a triangular bident, which is a uh, spear with two points, for a left hand, and a sharp point for the less left side of his head. He only speaks partially in English, with the rest of his sentences being various triangle. Mm-hmm. So it it's basically complete gibberish. Mm-hmm. The angler is able to teleport by moving part of his body from one location to the next, and then the rest of it, like he's stepping through a door. This allows him to get out of Quasar's quantum net and walk through wall. Quasar also is shocked to find that the angler's left hand can cut through his quantum constructs like a hot knife through butter. Agreed. And I'm going to sort of jump in here is during these attempts by um, Quasar to capture the angler, which, again, talk about very, very deep comic lore. Like, who remembers the angler? Mm. Nobody. (laughs) Quasar is still a little bit remedial in his quantum constructs. He's still, you know, pulling a Hal Jordan, Mm -hmm. making net and they're all sparkly and he's got his um, his triangular shield and he cr- tries to create a vice grip. So that's, uh, you know, very rudimentary solid objects. 
Yes. All right, as the angler teleports away, we cut back to the lobby where the woman Wendell was talking to, who we learn is named Kayla, has realized that he left his lease with her. So she's going to return it to the office number he told her about. She gets into an elevator, which happens to be the Fantastic Four's private elevator, but it opens for her because of the smash control panel. (laughs) You're right. Mm. I, I promise you, I did read this comic before, <laughs> like for the fifth time. You know, I, I mean, the first four was when I was fourteen. You know, because I really liked the way she was dressed. Apparently, we all know what we do when we're fourteen. Mm-hmm. But I did read this before, and I didn't notice that it was that. I did, however, notice that she has. A, remember, you want to put that communications degree to good use and get onto a high-paying career track before you hit the big three zero. So, firstly, we're going to assume that she's in her late twenties. Mm-hmm. Secondly, listen, lady, I got a degree in. Communications. I thought you were going to have something to say about that. Yeah, I, I, got a, I got a degree in communications. Now, you notice that I'm a financial planner now. So I don't use anything that I learned in my communications degree if I want to make any money, except for maybe Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that's only because I want to sound smart in meetings. But, sweetheart, you are never ever going to make any type of high paying career with a communications degree. And for those of you listening to this that have communications degree, because let's face it, there's going to be some fanboys listening to this. I'm one of you. I, I got a degree in communications. You know why? Because it was easy and there's no place for it in the real world. You're going <laughs> to be like Lomchenko or whatever that guy, character's that kicker's name was from the Simpsons, you know, when his leg comes off and he's trying to kick the field goal and he says, well, you'll fall back on your degree. Lomchenko has degree in communications it is nothing degree nothing (laughs) that is what it is so if you're going to school communications is one step up from like a lit degree (laughs) i'm gonna insult everybody here but you gotta listen i'm 40 uh i've had my teeth kicked in a lot do not get one of these ridiculous degrees you're better off just learning in the real world anyway back to topic um And I, I, I welcome your, your hate mail because it, it feeds me. I, I draw sustenance from your hate mail. It's, uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, getting the vital essence from the uh, Gelflings at, uh, <laughs> near the Dark Crystal. So send me, send me, send me. I want to hear it. Okay, sorry, Gene, go ahead. I think we're on page 18 still, Page yes? 18, yes. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, Quasar is chasing the angler, who now mentions his name, through mm-hmm. the FF's headquarters. The angler eventually gets to a door too thick to teleport through and starts to cut through it. Yeah. A few rooms away, Quasar, who's been trying not to smash up someone else's headquarters, mm-hmm. has a run-in with the Human Torch. Uh-huh. The Torch assumes he's the Crusader, the name Marvel Boy took when he went off the deep end. It's true. Quasar tries to set him straight, mentioning that he was even at one of the FF's Christmas parties, but the Torch is having none of it. When Quasar realizes that the Torch won't listen to reason and is destroying parts of the walls and the floor, he flies off to lead the Torch to the real villain. Finally, they come to the weapons vault, which has a huge hole cut in the door, and the angler appears carrying something. The Torch tries to put him into a flame cage, but the angler simply teleports out of it and then through a wall. The Torch follows, burning a hole in the wall... Right, which makes you wonder, you know, what is the ventilation system like in Four Freedoms? Because, listen, I say this with all respect. I am not, I have, this is absolutely not meant to be disrespectful, but folks that were caught in the 9-11 disaster mm-hmm. developed a symptom with coughing in the lungs that... Uh, 
I got to imagine would be similar if Torch is constantly melting the walls and the metal and the flooring. You know, you would get, you would inhale that stuff and there, there has got to be some, which is probably why the insurance is another reason why the insurance oh, yeah. is so expensive on that. But really, I mean, like what, what have they put in place because you're going to have all those melted metallic fumes just wafting through the ventilation system? Yeah. Well, I, when I was reading this, I, because I work in the construction industry. So I was okay. looking at this quasar flying up the elevator shaft and having just huge, wide open space between elevator cars. No, mm. it doesn't work that way. Each elevator is in its own shaft. It's surrounded by concrete. It's got rails it runs up and down on, the counterweights for it. There's no way it's just this vast open space. So once I saw that, I had to turn my construction logic circuit off in my head Yeah, to be able to get through the rest of it. So, I mean... Think about this. The torch is burning a hole in a random wall. It's just where the angler happened to teleport through. There could be wiring conduits in there. There could be communications cables. There could be ductwork. There could be water pipes. There could be sanitary pipes. There could be any rainwater pipes. Anything mm -hmm. in there. Typically, a, a wall, unless it is simply a partition wall, mm -hmm. a wall in a high-rise is chock full of pipes and wires and ductwork and everything you could think of. So him just burning a random hole, it's, I, I cringed when I read it. It's mm -hmm. like, no, don't do... The natural gas could be in there, you idiot! Sure, sure, right, right. Natural gas, and he's the human torch, and we all know what that combination is. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of shafts, this is where they um, run into Carla, who's trying to return the lease, Apparently, to she's just going to slip it under the door of the vault that uh, Reed Richards has all these weapons in because that's the where it goes. <laughs> but before we before we get into that, I just want to make a mention that uh, during the three or four pages of the misunderstanding fight that the Torch mm -hmm. and Quasar have, Quasar notes that <laughs> um, that uh, anything con construct that he can make out of his with his quantum bands, the Human Torch can make with fire, and they're kind of at a, kind of at a standstill, mm. which. I don't necessarily agree with, but we'll come back around to that uh, in a right. later segment. So, Gene, if you want to continue, I apologize for derailing us once again. Not a problem. I did want to mention one thing. On page 20, Quasar, then we're back to meta here. Quasar actually makes a mention that it, this is an actual quote. While we're here doing the two heroes fight each other over a misunderstanding routine, the angler <laughs> may be coming, getting his hands on whatever he's come for. That's true, and that's true, and again, yet another reason why we, we absolutely love Quasar, because he is not above making fun of himself. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, the torch follows the angler through the wall, ignoring Quasar as he tries to explain that the teleportation seems to have limits. Otherwise, he wouldn't have just cut a hole in the door. He would have teleported through it. Mm -hmm. When the torch loses sight of him, he finally listens to Quasar's plan of setting up a barrier too thick for the angler to teleport through. Mm -hmm. The angler comes around the corner and tells him that this won't work because he has his claw hand at the throat of Kayla. Mm -hmm. The torch recognizes the weapon he stole as a teleportation device. Mm -hmm. Quasar warns warns him not to try anything as the angler's weapon is unbelievably sharp. He doesn't want the woman to get killed. Mm. When the angler turns to activate the elevator, though, Quasar puts his arm in a cast so they can't move it at all. Mm. At this point, Kayla brings her heel down on the angler's toes and gets away. Yeah, those fuck-me boots, you know, they've got <laughs> sharp heels. Yes. So, of course, she's the she's the rough-and-tumble, you know, heroine of the story. Emphasis on heroin with her, you know, punk rock outfit. Quasar then puts the angler in a in full body shackles thick enough that he can't get out of them. 
and the torch melts the weapon, which last appeared in Captain America number 289, thanks to the helpful editor's note that they don't put in comics anymore. I know, I hate that. <laughs> to prevent anyone else from trying to get it. Quasar tries to get information out of the angler, but it just gets alien gibberish, which he thinks he means he's been sworn at. <laughs> Later that night, Wendell returns to his father's house to find Dr. Vaughn deep in conversation with Eon about the first cosmic champion. Mm -hmm. So Wendell decides not to tell him about his day because it wouldn't be half as interesting as that. Mm. And that is the end of Quasar number three. Yeah, and I want to make some notes here on this last page because there's a lot of stuff going on. And this is technically page number 30 for those of you following along at home. Okay, so firstly, on the third panel in on page 30, Johnny Storm is showing us his science background because that's what he's known for. Mm. Talking about the half alien artifact and how he was thinking that, uh, you know, the angler is trying to restore himself so he wouldn't be, you know phasing in and out of reality yeah because johnny storm is a deep thinker you know <laughs> uh we we i must point out because i've been listening to the fantastic cast and okay. they've, they've been they've covered the fantastic four from the beginning and because of my current project of reading through the marvel universe every comic <laughs> in order from the beginning mm -hmm. i have come across johnny storm in strange tales where he supposedly has a secret identity and the only way he actually has a secret identity is because Everybody in the town he's in is humoring him. <laughs> because everybody knows he's the Torch, because in one of the Fantastic Four issues, he was in a major motion picture with his sister, the Invisible Girl, with no mask or anything. <laughs> so yeah, Johnny Storm's a real deep thinker here. He sure is, he sure is. <laughs> now, speaking of deep thinkers, I just want to, you know, all right, so we've got the hypnotic tie effect, you know, we've got the Clark Kent's uh, glasses, uh, but... Here is why I love the coke-filled 80s and these rocker slots. So Carla <laughs> was just eluding. So back all the way on page 17, she was eluding about how she was looking for a boss, not a boyfriend, but she would have a great time, quote, loosening him up, end quote, referring to Wendell Vaughn, a.k.a. Quasar. So basically she's talking about, you know, a banging Wendell, you know, in his Aldrich Killian outfit. And she just met him moments ago. I mean, this fight couldn't have taken more than five or ten minutes. So let's, on, a, on the offside, let's say it's 15 minutes later, and she sees the guy that she was just talking about banging mm. is now wearing, is not wearing glasses, but is wearing a headband and a different outfit, and his hair is a little bit frizzy versus slicked back. And she doesn't recognize him. Now, I realize this might be the lowest lane effect, but <laughs> I just, it's just something that I can't willingly suspend my disbelief on. I just, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And she just, and of course, oh, and here, what she says, you know, when she's, you know, cradling and massaging his chest because she's, quote, scared, unquote, she goes, you're a superhero, aren't you? You know, I mean, it's, it's typical. She wants to, she wants to have sex with him. So anyway, Quasar shuffles her off out of the way from Johnny Storm and says, uh, tell you what, I'll see the lady safely on her way and then I'll help you cart him off. So, you know, they're just finding a broom closet here because he's been away in outer space for six or seven years. Mm. She is an 80s rocker slut and you know that he's going to get this thing he wants immediately after the sandwich. <laughs> just prior to the nap for having been away for six or seven years. And let's see, the only other thing I wanted to mention on page 
page 30 was that, oh, you know, all oh, there's the tender, you know, makeup scene between um, Johnny Torch and, and Quasar here. We talked about Johnny the Scientist. And of course, Quasar is just back from outer space and Kayla is a slut. <laughs> and then the last thing we should mention is that this was something I really liked as a 14 year old nerd uh, that was captain of the physics team, by the way. There is, you know, a little uh, sciencey article. Uh, ah, just yes. after the story on uh, hyperspace, the final frontier, talking about how hyperspace works. And there's some nice 3D-esque perspective charts here so that those of us who were not getting laid uh, at that age would get really excited about things being able to move through 2D space and warping space and what have you. And then, of course, if we wanted to order comics, we could go to the last page and see Captain America surfing on a shield <laughs> because the summer saving, no G on that word, by the way, S-A-V-I-N apostrophe safari, save $1 on each nine-issue subscription. And don't you know, I took advantage of that. Oh, yeah. And as far as that hyperspace thing, I'm going to scan that in. I'm going to post that on our blog so that people can see it just because I, I like these little science things. I mean, absolutely. It boils it down to where 13-year-old me could read it and understand it and it was cool so mm -hmm. yeah I'll, I'll post that do you want to go over the ads in the issue <laughs> while we're here you know i do <laughs> <laughs> I believe there's a time constraint because yes. I don't have enough patience to listen to anybody else's podcast that goes more than 30 or 45 <laughs> minutes. So I'm not going to do that to anybody else. Okay. Um, well, let, let, let's just say that about 90% of the ads were for Nintendo or Nintendo games. Inc correct. Including, and this one is for uh, Andy and Steven at the Fantastic Cast, Airwolf. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I should also, oh, and there's uh, check out the action for the NFL playing cards, which I'm sure are worth tons of dollars today. Just like the comic books, right? Just like the comic books, <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> dollar bin. Gene, yes. if you're going to post that to our blog, wouldn't it be a good idea, and this is a nice little opening for you, to post it to our Facebook page? And by the way, what is the Facebook page again? Well, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash Quantum Bands, all one word. Q-U-A-N-T-U-M-B-A-N-D-S. Gene, do I need to type in HTTP colon slash slash www, or can I just type that in directly? I think you can just type Facebook.com slash Quantum Bands in directly, and it will take you there. <laughs> Isn't technology wonderful? <laughs> all right, well, why don't we take a break, and then we will come back with some email, some comic book fight club, and some uh, listener call to action. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. I have called you all here today, at the behest of Don DiManzo, to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. 
our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th through the 17th, 2015. Don DiManzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try two true freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And welcome back. And I would suggest listening to those shows that I just plug the promos in for, whatever they happen to be. You weren't listening, were you? It's okay, I wasn't either. <laughs> I, I don't give two shits. But go ahead. What are we talking well, about? Well, we are talking about, it, way, way, way back in episode number one, we laid a challenge down to the listeners, and we had this thing called Comic Book Fight Club. And matchup that we proposed at that time was the Lion Voltron, not the not the weird car one, the Lion one versus Omega Supreme from the Autobots. So let me lay down my case here. I am on the Lion Voltron side, and not only you know we're we're not going to talk about the different Lion components or anything like that because we all know. If they're individual, they're not really effective. They always have to come together to be Voltron. But once he is Voltron, my main point here is track record. If you look at Omega Supreme, Omega Supreme has fought Devastator. And he fought Devastator. And Devastator some more. And a few more de times with Devastator. Voltron has never fought the same enemy twice. Because he cuts him in half. He destroys whatever enemy he is fighting. So while Omega Supreme may have a long-running battle with Devastator, Voltron, just he's like a thousand and oh. So uh, now I, I would definitely 
back him in this fight. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I think lots of things. And you're very smart to come to me for an opinion because, Gene, you're wrong. All right. And before I offend some you of you, like, you sound like my wife here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure what to say to that because I would like to maintain our friendship. <laughs> so, uh, firstly, firstly, I know some of you fanboys out there just love your Voltron. And I get it. When I was 12, I watched Voltron 2 and I liked it. But then I grew up. And I have to understand that you have to understand that we're not talking about. You know, who's most popular? Because really, if we were talking about who's most popular, we'd say Batman wins. Because I can put Batman in a rumble against anybody, fantasy, comics, cartoons, whatever, and the answer's always going to be, oh, well, Batman wins because he figured out a way to do it 10 years before the fight ever happened. So you can put your Batman and you can shove him up your ass because we're not doing popularity. We're just talking about true logistics, who is going to win in the fight. So having said that, Gene, Yes. Firstly, it comes down to math. All right. There are five lions that becomes one Voltron. Right. Now, you are an engineer, Mm -hmm. and so you're going to be able to do this math a little bit easier than I can. There are six components, six robots, all construction vehicles, Mm -hmm. that come together to make Devastator. Right. And so six is greater than five, yes? Yes. And Omega Supreme still win. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a simple math. I mean, uh, you can you can try and dispute it if you want, but there are six components to Devastator and Omega Supreme wins. If there's only five components to Voltron, uh, Omega Supreme is still going to win. And besides, Omega Supreme is just one robot, so there's not any weak points, you know, where they connect together. Omega Supreme can become an entire rocket base with a moving tank. Five Lions, that's horse shit. So putting the Batman argument aside, I absolutely have to go with Omega Supreme because Omega Supreme was absolutely the coolest toy in the world. And in my man cave, I actually have a um, Omega Supreme because I was the lucky boy and mm. I have all five Lions and I have them sitting right next to each other. And I'll post that on our Facebook page. But you can clearly see that Omega Supreme is the far superior toy because even if we're talking about toys, those lions never stuck together properly. And the head, the spring wore off inside of the the shooting mechanism that would shoot the the red lion's head off of its Hmm. body. Uh, And you could never get it back on and it would never stay on. It would just, you know, randomly pop off. So Omega Supreme is clearly, clearly the winner. So, you know, again, barring the Batman <laughs> principle, and that's what I'm going to start calling it from now on, the Batman principle, uh, I think we're at a tie here, Gene. I, so I think you're right. I think we need to go to, I hate to say it, the fans. I hate going to the fans for their advice and their opinions because it really doesn't matter. But since we have a tie and we're the experts, then we're going to have to go to the next level down of you know, knowledge and expertise, and that would be our fan base. Okay, well, we do have, out of, out of everything that we've gotten, we have one that makes some very, very good points, and that's from Zeb Oswald, who is a very early supporter of the show. Great guy, always uh, like Zeb? Our... Zeb, Z-E-B. That's not his real name. <laughs> well, you, you may uh, reconsider you know, talking about his name because he's on your side. Really? Because <laughs> yes. I didn't read it because I don't give two shits about it. <laughs> but I know, I know, I know that you read it. So let me hear it. Cause maybe okay. Zeb win me back. Zeb, make me, make me a believer. Okay. Well, 
Zeb goes into both the capacities of Voltron and of Omega Supreme. And so, All right. Yeah, they're they're pretty evenly matched if you look at a physical limit because they're they're neither of them are super fast. Yeah. They're both very strong. Mm-hmm. But and here here's Zeb's point is Voltron has always ever fought either well, really he's only ever fought what's termed in Japan Daikaiju, which is the giant monsters. So, like, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. He's never fought other robots or mechs. Yes. Also, Omega Supreme is sentient. He yeah. thinks on his own, whereas Voltron is controlled by five humans. So, so not only do you have to get all five of them working on the same level and working together in harmony, but there's always going to be a lag between perception and action. Correct. So, in, huh. in this, Zeb is going for Omega Supreme because... On an equal footing, with all equal physical attributes, he can react faster, and he has gone up against opponents that are like him, whereas Voltron has not. Wow. That is a surprisingly well-put-together argument. Zeb, you've won me over. I'm going to raise you above the other troglodytes that listen to our podcast, and you are getting a preferred status in in the minds of the quantum verse and in my heart specifically. So that makes that's a that's a. I mean, listen, I'm very surprised that uh, at that argument, but it makes complete and total sense. Wouldn't you agree? I I would agree, and I would say that we definitely have to call it for Omega Supreme. So. Zeb, we're going to go into the prize closet for you and get you something special. Make sure you uh, write back into us. If you would like to weigh in on this battle and try to put some supporting documentation for the Omega Supreme uh, argument, or if you would like to counter Zeb's well-thought-out and my well-thought-out argument, tough shit. This one's over. It's been called. It's done. It's in the record books. But you can, you can, and you should try and weigh in on our future bouts because it might matter. If you if you write in on the last one, it's not going to matter, but on, you might matter on this next one. So unless, unless Gene, you have anything else to weigh in on this particular bout, uh, do you want me to announce the next uh, Fight Club? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so next month's Fight Club is uh, going to be a continuation of what happened in today's comic. It's going to be uh, Johnny the Human Torch versus Barack Obama. So whoever you think would win... No, 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 I'm just just kidding. But that would be great. We should maybe do that in the future, like Barack Obama versus, you know, like Bob Dole. I mean, like Bob Dole's got the pen of death. (laughs) Stab him right in the goddamn neck. Uh, Okay, no, it's going to be be, uh, Johnny Torch versus our friend Wendell Vaughn Quasar. And... Again, please, no Batman principle. I know everyone that's listening to this loves Quasar, so automatically wants Quasar to win. Because Johnny Torch is a douchebag. <laughs> and I say that with love, because I'm also a douchebag. But two douchebags in the same room just doesn't work. We want you to write in with who you think would win and why. A real, well-thought-out argument like Zeb's. And, of course, Gene and I will have our opinions, and of our course. opinions will be the only ones that matter. But, but you never um, know. If we end up with another tie, right. we're going to have to go into the, the mailbag, so you might as well write in just in case you're Agreed. called up to the majors. Absolutely. absolutely. That's a great... Well put, sir. Well put. So I think that wraps it up for this month's version of the Quantum Cast. Well, and... well, there is there is one other thing I would like to put out there. As long as we're asking them to write emails, Mm -hmm. we might as well 
get them to do something productive with their emailing time. Ay, what? I have been reading on Marvel Unlimited, which is a wonderful service. I, I highly recommend it if you can afford it. But they only have six, count them six, issues of Quasar available what? on Marvel Unlimited. That is one-tenth of the total run. That's horseshit. So what I have done, and what I suggest that you listeners do, is you can write in to Marvel Unlimited, and I will pull up the email address so that you can send it right there. In fact, if you haven't Marvel Unlimited subscription, you can just go into your uh, your Marvel Unlimited app and click on the support. But if you go to online support at marvel.com, so that's all one word, online support at marvel.com, write an email to there and ask them, when we can expect the full run of Quasar on Marvel Unlimited. Let's show them that we want to get the rest of the issues out there so that those of you not blessed with a complete run of the comic can read along with us. I think that is a great idea, Gene. I mean, not everyone has the full run like I do from back in the 80s and 90s, and Gene does as well. So rather than trying to hunt them down on eBay or local comic book store, which, by the way, Support your local comic book store because, yeah, it's going to cost you an extra dollar or so to get the comics. But you know what? How are you going to know what's coming out? Where are you going to be able to hang out? It's it's an investment in your future, really, if you think about it. But, yeah, if you're in addition to all that, if you're right in and your local comic book store does not have all the back issues of Quasar and shame on them if they don't, you could use the online service and read them if they put them up there so that you can follow along at home while we go through them. All right. Now, I think that wraps it up for this month. Well, make sure you guys tune in next month for Quasar number four called Quantum Rain. However, the title changes mm-hmm. to Quantum Theory Made Easy on the inside cover, and it features Aquarian, who is another no-name, bullshit, 1980s supporting player that no one's heard of except for the Quasar comics. He's the hippie superhero. He absolutely is. All right, so tune in next month for Dirty Hippies All Over Your Comic. Thank you for listening to The Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. You can find us on the web at quantumbands.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus under Quantum Bands. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.